The Seven Rock Life Show is about stories that inspire with people that you will admire, learning to develop new chapters in life, learning from the past, but letting the old stories expire so it gives room for the new stories you create. Our brand is about three things, victorious in your life, contributing to society, and having fun along the journey. Seven Rock Life is a lifestyle that inspires and gives back with a mission to impact the world one life at a time. I'm your host, Steve Mazurko. Thanks for tuning in and being part of this journey. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Seven Rock Life Podcast. We are excited to have you part of our community in season two. Our season one was a success with hitting over 42 countries around the world and thousands of downloads and subscribers. To keep you up to date with our brand, we have our new fall collection that is now out on sevenrocklife.com. We have our new brand logo and new custom boxes that create an experience with every order delivered. The responses have been so great with the quality and comfort of our full collection. So thank you for supporting our mission of being a brand that inspires and gives back. Check out SemrockLife.com for new trends to represent the SRL lifestyle. Every item bought and other item is donated to charities and missions around the world. For the month of September, we will be donating to military and first responders that support our country and protect us every day. Thank you for being part of our mission and impacting lives together as a community. Our other exciting Seven Rock Life news is our Living to Inspire Festival tickets are out. We are hoped to have you all join us November 8th and 9th at the unique and amazing Knockdown Center in Queens, New York, having our first of seven Living to Inspire festivals. Be sure to check out livingtoinspire.com to see our amazing lineup for New York and purchase your ticket for yourself, friends, and family. Surprise your friend with a gift that will empower you to become the best version you were destined to be. It will be two amazing days that will educate, entertain, and inspire you with TEDx speakers, pro athletes, music artists, food, networking, dancing, and so much more. Tickets will get sold out for this festival and after October 1st, they will go up. Every ticket 10% goes back to charities that we support that will be given a check at the event live. So be present to see each of us contributing to great causes together and giving back to make a difference. Keep living to inspire and living that Seven Rock life every day. We appreciate you all and the reviews that are left for the book, podcast, and through sharing on social media or tags and stories. Even texting a friend to be that hero for them to help them acquire content that can change or save their life, which is our brand's mission. Have a great week. Enjoy this amazing episode. Hey guys, welcome to Seven Rock Life Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Zerko. We're here on an amazing afternoon and so excited to have this guest here. Uh, he's a Smithtown, a Long Island native, uh, Frank Colonado, and so excited to have him. Give a little background on Frank before we introduce him. So he, uh, 1992, he got drafted out of Smithtown MLB to uh, the major leagues. At 23 years old, he got his break uh, for the major leagues. He played with the Blue Jays, he played with the Texas Rangers, Expos, and Mets. And now he's the, the, the coach for NYIT that just had an amazing season, 37-15 and 15 record, going from a 13 to 36. So we're definitely going to get into that. And um, just um, what's awesome about Frank is that he's just got an amazing heart, spirit, uh, great, uh, great family man as well, and doing great things for the community, great things for people in sports and baseball, and also did broadcasting as well. So I would like to introduce my good friend, Frank. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, he... Um, just, uh, he's in great shape, by the way. How old are you now, by the way? I'm 45. You're four- My man. <laughs> it's the Italian food and all the cannolis that are healthy. It's got to be it, yeah. They say it's not uh, it's not the cannolis, but I said just twice a year, it makes you young. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, I love cannolis, so I, maybe that's what I got to do more of. <laughs> Did you grow up with a lot of uh, the Italian family and cooking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom was a great cook and, and still is and love going to her house to, for the Italian meals. Ah. Uh, do they have um do they hang the stuff like in the garage or like the basement? No, you know? they're not they're not that <laughs> <laughs> that Italian, come on! Because that's when when they have the second uh, kitchen downstairs. Yeah. that's when you know like they are like legit, legit. Yeah, or the plastic couches. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, we didn't have those. My grandparents did. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So it's it's great. You know, we're gonna get into uh, into his story and just um, you know hearing just your background and starting from living in Long Island. What got you into baseball? Um, you know, if you don't uh, know Frank, look him up. He's got great stats. Uh, he had two ninety one career average. 
2001 season, batted 330. That was with the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers, yeah. Yep, and uh, doing great things with coaching now. And I believe you know your life after sports career is just beginning uh, with what you've been doing this past year and all that. So let's hear uh, for Severock Life Podcast Nation, everybody listening, a little background on Frank and growing up. Yeah, no, I, I grew up in Smithtown, um, and uh, baseball was always my passion. And, and my dad got me into baseball every every night that he would come home from work. Um, we would go out in the backyard and we'd play catch and he would throw balls to me and I would hit them. And, uh, then we would go inside and, and we'd watch the Yankee game every, every single night. So, uh, it was, uh, I had a great childhood and, um, you know, my parents were, um, the driving force for me to be successful later in life because they, um, they taught me the right way to go about it. They told me, you know, that I always had to work hard. You know, I watched my dad and my mom work hard as I was growing up and they were great examples for me. Um, what did they do? My dad was a CPA. Um, and my mom, not only did she raise my, myself and, and my sister and my brother, but, uh, she was a secretary, uh, for an engineering firm. And, um, you know, they, um, they, they taught us that if you want anything in life, you have to work hard for it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we, we, my brother, my sister, and myself, we knew that, uh, you know, nothing was going to be given to us, um, that, that we had to work hard. And, uh, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, you see some kids nowadays that think that they're just gonna just get things just come to them yeah. and they don't have to work entitlement. Yes. And they don't have to work hard. So, uh, you know, I had a great childhood and, and I was lucky enough to, um, to go to a great high school in Smithtown East with some great, uh, baseball coaches and, uh, uh, baseball players there. And luckily for me, um, when I was in high school, I had, um, college and pro scouts coming to my games and they weren't coming to the games to see me. They were coming to see three other kids on my team. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was lucky that, that I had, you know, some, some good players that, uh, these scouts were coming out to see because I was one of the guys that got noticed when they were looking for someone else. And, uh, you know, I had a, uh, a scholarship offer to Seton hall. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, um, I was drafted by the Detroit Tigers in the 10th round. Um, so I was very lucky, very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, but I had a tough decision ahead of me because it was, do I sign with the Detroit Tigers and, and try to live out a dream because playing major league baseball had always been a dream of mine since I was a little kid, or was it sign with Seton Hall and, and, um, go to school and schooling was very important to myself and my family. So it was a tough decision. It took us over a month to make it. And, uh, you know, ultimately, ultimately the decision was mine, but my mom and dad were every night, my mom and dad for that month, they, we would sit down and we would talk about the pros and the cons and, uh, I remember more pros though. More pros. (laughs) Yes. But it was, it was seriously, it was an agonizing, uh, decision, because I knew that, um, you know, this is was going to help shape the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad were there to tell me that either decision I make uh, is not a bad decision, you know. Um, and it wasn't until the, the Tigers put a clause in my contract that said that, you know, if I decided to quit, um, they would pay for my schooling, uh, a certain amount of money, um, up to, uh, I think it was $25,000, uh, to, for me to go back to school. So, um, once that was put in there, I felt like I had a little bit of a, of a cushion. Better. Yeah, I felt better. And then I was able to, uh, to go ahead and sign with the Detroit Tigers. And, uh, you know, here I was a kid from Long Island thinking I'm going, you know, and I'll be in the major leagues in another year or two. And I went to the minor leagues and everyone there was bigger, stronger, and faster than me. There were kids from not only the United States, but all over the country, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. uh, Well, when I played down in DR, I'm like, I'm like, why are they throwing 92 at 12 years old? Right. (laughs) Right. So when I got there, I was like, oh, wow, I was a, I was a fish out of water. So, um, it was disheartening. It really was. Uh, you know, I talked to my dad, uh, quite a bit and said, I think I made the wrong decision. 
you know, maybe I should come home. And, and he told me, no, you gotta, you gotta stick this out, you know, play one more year. Cause when I had signed, I signed in July. Um, and the season was over at the end of August. So I was only there for a month, month and a half. And uh, it was the first time I had to use a wood bat. You know, I had always used, uh, an aluminum, a metal bat and, it was totally different using that wood bat. Big change. Big change. So um, it was tough. I had a bad taste in my mouth that first time. And like I said, my dad told me, no, you have to go back and, and give it one more shot. And during that off season, I worked really hard. I knew that I had a lot of work to do because all these other kids were, were better than me. And uh, I put on some weight by you know lifting weights, uh, getting stronger, um, did a lot of running, got faster. Um, and, um, I did, you know, a lot of hitting as well. And that next year I went back and I hit over 300. I had a, had a good season and I was more, now I was more acclimated and, and I was comfortable with, um, the minor league lifestyle. Yeah. You Cause know, you were 18. I was 18. Yeah. Wow. So it was a shock. So walk us through, cause I think this relates to a lot of people out there, whether they're in sports, whether they're in business career, you know, anything that they're doing in life, entrepreneurship, that first year, you know, you're you're excited. You had to take an audit uh, for a month to figure out, hey, am I, you know, is this what I'm supposed to do? What like inside of you made you that gut to say, you know, I, I can do this. But then you get there, and then it's like you hit kind of rock bottom. Like, did I make the wrong decision? So what? Walk us through that time of your life from 18 to 19 years old to 20. Like, what were you feeling, and what got you through? What was driving you? What was pushing you? It was um, the fact that I was so driven. <clears throat> to be the best that I could be. And, and and I was driven to to be a major league baseball player. I didn't want to let people down. Um, you know, I had all my friends that were, you know, so excited that, and, and family that so excited that I got drafted and I was going to make it to the major leagues. And, you know, I had to say to myself, don't be pouting. Don't say, oh, woe is me. It didn't go my way. Now it's time for you to show, to prove everyone wrong, show everyone that, hey, that first season, it was a, it was a fluke. It was me trying to get, get acclimated and, and uh, get used to this lifestyle and get used to the, the kind of baseball that's being played. So it was just me that, that um, had to kind of search inside and say, hey, do you want to be a guy that gives up or do you want to just grind it out? And, uh, you know, luckily I was able to grind it out. And I think that like Marley Ball is is creating a company. It's creating um, something that big in your life because you know how it is. You're on the road, you're traveling, you're grinding, and you're getting you're looking to get into the MLB, mm-hmm. right? Yep. How was Marley Ball? What were the downloads and things you'd learned um, from being in that kind of world? Well, it was I I think that the coaches in the minor leagues are way better than the coaches in the major leagues, and it makes sense because. In the minor leagues, that's where they have to develop the players, right? In the major leagues, my best my my best coaches in the major leagues were guys that would keep me positive. You know, hitting coaches that would not necessarily have to make adjustments with my swing because I learned all those uh, adjustments and I learned how to uh, to to swing and, and have my best swing in the minor leagues. It was more about because there's so much failure in baseball. It was more about how do you deal with the failure and pumping you up that day and, and kind of give making you positive going into the games and those at-bats. Um, so what I learned from the coaches uh, was awesome in the minor leagues. And then you also learn, you know, about how to manage your time, um, you know, and with uh, the travel too. I mean, you're traveling all the time on these bus rides that are 14, 15 hour bus rides. The it's, conditions aren't great. They smell sometimes. Yes. <laughs> the the ballparks aren't great. The, the, the surface, you know, the infield surface, the, uh, the clubhouses aren't great. So um, you get to see how, how everyone has to do it. And, and you realize that there's no shortcuts. You know, you've got to put the work in and uh, it just makes it that much easier for when you get to the major leagues. And now things become easier because you know you don't have that terrible travel you're traveling on beautiful planes and, yeah. and you're there in two hours great instead food. of 15 hours great food uh great ballparks uh so um 
you know, you you learn how to grind, and in that way, in the minor leagues, in that way, in the major leagues, when you need it, it's it, you can call it up much easier. Yeah, and there's a couple. I mean, you said some great things. Is you don't because you don't realize the things that you learn at the moment, but you learned time management. I, I see that now. I remember going to Stony. We were talking about Coach Sank and and just playing college baseball. I played you know a couple years pro, but not at your level, and. Time management, always on time. It's like if you're on time, you're late. Yep. If you're early, you're on time. Yep. And if you're late, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm sure you have some stories of like running, like you're late and it's like, yeah, you're not playing. Sure, sure. Um, and so time is huge. And let's kind of go through each one and maybe this will relate to anybody out there listening to whatever career you're in. Time management, how do you now in your life and then also kind of back in the days, like how, how do you manage your time? How do you prioritize your schedule? It's preparation for me, you know, kind of sitting down the, the night before and figuring out, okay, I have to do this, 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 and this. Um, but I, you know, there's certain things I have to get done. So I, I'm a list guy. I, I'm a guy that writes lists Same down <laughs> I, on I, paper. I, yeah. On paper. Yes. I have, it has to be on paper and I'll even go as, as far as to write the times of what time I have to do this, what, when I have to do that. That way I know that. I'm going to be on time for each thing. Uh, I think one of the worst things you can do is is be late, especially for something that's really important. So I always make sure, you know, I, I kind of try to uh, figure out if there'll be traffic and stuff like that. So I, for me, it was preparation, just being prepared and not letting anything kind of sneak up on you. Yeah. And did you have that before getting into signing or like your childhood or more of like when you got into there, you had to learn it? I think I had to learn it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you're, if you're, if something goes wrong the first time in the minor leagues and you realize that, oh, that guy was late and now, you know, he's running, right. He's running (laughs) for three hours. (laughs) You'd learn it really quickly. And and that was one thing that I was good at. Like if I would see something say, oh, I don't want that to be me. You know, I I was able to make the adjustment quickly. I'll never forget those moments of like, when you do something wrong. One of my moments was in middle school. I had this guy, Coach Bertram, amazing coach. And I remember uh, I was playing shortstop and I overthrew and I said, like I said, you know, a curse, whatever. And he looked at me, came storming at me. He said, what'd you say? I said, and I repeated it like, like really low. He's like, start running. <laughs> Three hours later, <laughs> I, I came back. I was like, it's dark. He's like, Mazurko. You know, do you have any funny stories of just like in the locker room or things that happened to you or things that were like funny, scary, whatever. I'm sure you have a couple, you know, uh, moments in the minors and then we'll get into the majors and stuff. Yeah. As, as far as having to run, is that what you're saying? Anything. That, that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's, no, I, I haven't, I never had to do that because again, I was, I was so prepared. Um, stories in the minor Frank's leagues. a very good guy. He's he's a saint <laughs> and he's done nothing wrong. You meet him, uh, he's just got a golden heart. <laughs> no, you know, listen, there were times that that you'd we'd be out uh, you know, late for, after curfew. Uh and and some of those, you know, I can think of some of those stories about how we got back into the room in time with without the coach no you know knowing uh forgot that, about that yeah. yeah there were there were a couple of times that the coach knew and and um you know luckily we were able to convince him you know not to tell the manager uh you know usually it was the assistant coaches that were checking Driving. you know <laughs> and they were so yeah no nothing nothing crazy that happened to me necessarily but i saw a lot of things a lot of guys get busted you know out after curfew and and guys quite frankly sent home the next day yeah so you learn like i said you learn pretty quickly you know kind of you know you can have fun but you just don't want to uh especially if you're not a top prospect you just don't want to piss off the wrong person best memory from minors and we'll we'll go into kind of your break into the majors but best memory from the minors things something you learned or something you remember yeah, so for me, it was um, meeting Larry Parrish. Larry Parrish was, he played in the major leagues for about 15 years. Uh, he was um, the roving minor league hitting instructor. And had I not met him, I would never have got to the major leagues. He's the guy that took me under his wing. Um, and he would, you know, make sure that I was there early seven o'clock in the morning, you know, during spring training for extra hitting, he would make sure that I was there late 
uh, after the games uh, and working. And, and I wanted to work because I wanted to get to the major leagues. But he told me a story that after my first year, um, we were in spring training. They call the the brass call call a meeting and they say, um, okay, we got to make cuts. And my name came up and everyone at the table said, oh yeah, we got to cut him. He's, he's no good. He's got to be sent home. And Larry Parrish stood up and said, no, this kid wants to work. I've been working with him. Don't worry. He's going to get better. Wow. And they, uh, continued to say, no, this guy's got to go. And luckily enough for me and someone else in that meeting told me about the whole thing that went down. Larry didn't tell me himself until later. Um, but they said, um, Larry said, if, you know, you guys can fire me. If this guy doesn't get better and doesn't improve, you guys can get rid of me. And luckily enough, they were able, they, they they kept me, and I did get better, and I moved up uh, through the ladder. But so that was your like he was your thin your like thin thread of the keeping you there. Exactly that one person. That one person had that breakthrough. So had had he not been there, wow, I could have been sent home, and I could have said that's it, you know, and and not signed with another team, whatever. I could have just started, you know, went to college and. So that's one thing in the minor leagues that I'll never forget. I'm very grateful for him. Uh, and, you know, sometimes in life it's, uh, it's who you know and who you meet. And, and had, had I not impressed him with my work ethic and, and my character, maybe he wouldn't have taken me under his wing. But I learned so much from him, not only the mechanics of the game and of hitting, but also the mental part of the game. And the mental part of the game, uh, you know, helped me so much throughout my career. Yeah, and we're going to get into that, actually, um, the, the mental mentality. There was a book I told you earlier we were talking about, Mental Toughness. Yep. That book changed my life, changed my you know career for baseball, too. But it's interesting. What I'm noticing is a commonality with you is, and it's, for anybody, is you were prepared no matter who was watching. Yep. So you were always just doing your best, whether it was behind closed doors or in front of people, which gave you that blessing to have Larry I say, listen, I believe in him. I know who he is, not on the outside, but on the inside. He wants it. Absolutely. And that's the thing. And I tell these kids uh, in college all the time, you never know who's here, who's watching. Uh, you know, it, it, it can be the difference uh, between, you know, getting drafted or not. And um, so that's why I make sure that my kids are every practice we have, every game that we have, they're working, they're, they're playing as hard as they can. Yeah. I was talking to somebody because, you know, I mentor and coach people in life and business. And um, I was saying how you want to live a crisp life. A crisp life is like everything that you do is crisp. The way you treat people, the way you dress, the way you talk, you know, and not where you're like so perfect where you're weird, but like you're just crisp in how you are on the field, how your cleats are. Even because I know when I was playing, like when you're clean and you feel good and your bat's good, you're just like, you feel better. Yep. Right. But when you're a mess in areas of life, it's interesting how you make the list because I do the same exact thing. So <laughs> I love that. That's in the one of the uh, rocks of life is organization. Mm -hmm. And you'll never get anxiety or, or in life when you clear out the clutter, mm -hmm. right? And I want to go over that in a little bit about how you clear out the clutter, you stay focused because that applies to all areas of life. But that's what I noticed about you is you're always prepared. You're mm -hmm. always going at your full throttle. And if you're listening to this, that goes through anything, a mentor or coach, or you're looking to get in a career or, or sports, be prepared no matter what. And no, I think that's something no you've always done, which is why you've had your breakthrough. Absolutely. Right? So walk us through. So, because uh, I know this probably is a memory that you'll never forget. Getting the call, where were you to get to the majors and how did it all happen? So uh, I was in AAA Toledo and it was- Ohio? Ohio. Nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. So nothing there. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, late in the season, probably uh, a few days left of the uh, minor league season. I think it was September 2nd or September 3rd. Um, and I was having a good season, um, there. And after a game, I got called into the office. The manager's name was Gene Roof. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a feeling why he was calling me in and, and sure enough, he said, Hey, um, congratulations. You're heading to Atlanta tomorrow. The Tigers are playing in Atlanta. Wow. And, uh, it was a dream come true. You know, I had always dreamed of that moment and, uh, the first thing I thought of was I can't wait to get home to be able to call my mom and dad. Um, and it was an emotional call because it's something that I worked, you know, my whole life to, to, to get to. And, uh, I was so thankful, so grateful. And, uh, it was a moment in my life that I'll never forget. Hmm. What, um, like 
what was that season like for you? How long were you in AAA there for? So I was in AAA uh, for that one year, 1997, for five months. And then I got called up and played the last month with the Tigers. Wow. Yeah. And what was your first uh, first game? What was that experience like? So my first game, um, I, I pinch hit late in the game uh, against the pitcher's name was Chad Fox, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, I walked. Um so my first at bat was a walk, but I was nervous as could be. So I was fine with you know, with not having to swing the bat. You got and on just base. Going, I got on base, yeah. right? So I did my job. But uh, yeah, no, I remember being very nervous, and uh, it was good to kind of get those those nerves out uh, right away because it was the first game that I was there. Yeah. Well, flying there, one more thing, flying there, and then walking in the dugout, and then like, because I know that feeling when you walk out of the dugout and you're like, I'm here. Yep. What was going through your brain and mind? Like, because I know in moments of my life, you start having these like flashes of just the times I was with my dad fielding ground balls, sure. the the high school game, the scout coming and this and that. Like, what was when you walk through that dugout and then you're like, well, I'm in, uh, it was Atlanta? It was Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta. What was, what was going through your head then? There, there were so many emotions. There there was that, you know, I, I, I recalled the, the moments, you know, uh, in high school, in the minor leagues, everything that I had to do to get there. However, there was also doubt that would creep in, yeah. especially when I came out on the field and said, "Oh boy, I don't want to embarrass myself tonight." Um, I, you know, and and you think about all the ground balls that you've taken, all the swings you've taken, and yet that that doubt still seems to to creep in. It's baseball. That's all it is. It's the same game that I've been playing my whole life, and now all of a sudden, I was doubting myself, thinking. Am I going to be able to do this? I don't want to embarrass myself. And that's what's weird about baseball. That I noticed is not, the doubt doesn't come from people; it comes from yourself. Because it's like you're you have this inner roommate, and you have to make sure that inner roommate actually believes in you, which is you. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious to kind of see, like, as you go through your seasons of how you dealt with that inner roommate, because yep. I think that applies to anything in life. Sure. Is yeah, you have those people that are haters or just don't believe, but you know, usually you have good people around you. Mm-hmm. But the, the, sometimes the biggest hater is like your own inner voice, your yep. own inner mind. Yeah. You're like, stop talking. Yeah. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So so now walk us through your your first year uh, being being there and just you know in those couple of years uh, being in major leagues, things you were learning, things you were experiencing, uh, the change from minors to majors. Yeah. Well, it was it was awesome. The change was was crazy because now all of a sudden we everyone was catering to you. You know, everywhere you went, you were getting all this meal money. You went, you know, on the plane. It increased, right? The meal oh, money? Oh, it increased like you wouldn't believe. Um, <laughs> no and, more peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, pizza. <laughs> no more peanut butter and jelly. I still like it to this day because right. I think I ate so much of it. I know. You know? <laughs> but uh, no, but now you were just eating great food when you got to the ballpark. After the games, you were traveling on, you know, uh, beautiful planes uh, private planes and, uh, you never had to go through an airport. You know, the, the bus road right, drove right up to the, um, to the planes. That was worth everything. Yes. <laughs> no TSA. <laughs> no TSA. So, um, it was, um, it was better than I thought it would be, uh, and being able to have the camaraderie with the guys to on the plane, um, and, uh, in the clubhouse and, uh, you know, on the road, uh, it, it was awesome. And, and, um, you know, my first season there, I, I, I did well, you know, in, in that the rest of that season in September, I did well, I impressed them next year. I went to spring training, made the team at a spring training and, and the rest is history. I mean, um, you know, my first year, couple years, I was more of a utility guy, uh, didn't start that much. And, um, I had to learn multiple positions. You know, when I came up, I came up as, as a second baseman, um, about a week after I came up, we signed the second baseman, the tiger signed the second baseman to a five-year contract. Mm. So I knew I was kind of blocked there. And, uh, when our third baseman got hurt, they looked at me and said, Hey, can you play third? And I said, yeah, sure. I had, I had never played third before, but I wanted to do that. So I went out there, took ground balls and, Next thing you know, I was the starting third baseman. And then a couple weeks later, the first baseman got hurt. After the the third baseman got healthy, they asked me if I could play first. And I said, sure. So I was playing there. And then same thing happened in the outfield. So next thing you know, 
I was able to play multiple positions. So I was getting more starts, you know, when guys would get hurt and it proved very valuable to be able to play so many different positions. You know, that's one of the things that kept me in the big leagues for so long is they knew that, you know, uh, I could not only could I hit, but they could put me in different spots. I think that's so key to life is you have to have multiple skills. You know, you have to know how to walk and chew gum at the same time, because if you only rely on that, like one source of income or that one uh, position, then you're out of business. And that goes for anything that you are in life. And that proved to to help you know that, hey, I can adjust, right? And adjustment is huge. What, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool things that I learned about you um, and just kind of studying your your career. What was the culture? Like, what did you learn about culture and teamwork um, and creating like, the culture of winning teams or just the environment of being a great team member? Everyone, for me and, and culture, everyone had to be pulling from the same side of the rope. Um, and um, everyone was held accountable. And and, and this, these are some things that I do uh, with the, the college team. You know, I told them everyone has to be held responsible, accountable. Um it has to be, you have to be more thinking team instead of uh, individual success. Mm-hmm. And um, when they come to practice, um, and this is in the major leagues too, they would tell us, when you come to practice, be prepared to practice and to get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, I think it's important if, if everyone's pulling from the same rope and, and you're thinking it's it's a team concept instead of the individual concept. Don't get me wrong. In baseball, you need the individual. Um, it's a know, balance. It is a balance. Yeah. It's tough at times because you're like, you're individual, but you're not. Right. You're, you're, you're working together collaboratively. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, you know, the other thing, and again, I'm going back to the college thing, is with them before me the team before me they were used to they they got comfortable with losing and that was unacceptable to me because you took just a you know and that's a little fast forward but you you went from nyt a team you know that he's coached last year 13 and 36 so 13 uh, wins 36 losses not a good record to 37 and 15 record yep and then going you know uh beyond that and and that was just instilling the belief that we were winners Mm. because like i said i got there and what i was hearing from guys is that they were comfortable losing they got comfortable losing like they didn't expect whenever the game started they didn't expect to win the game and when you have a a whole roster that expects to lose you're gonna lose you, you know so we had to myself and the coaching staff had to kind of change their their mindset to Whenever we step on the field, we expect to win. And when you have everyone thinking the same way and doing whatever it takes to win, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, more successful. Yeah, you you had to change the DNA and reprogram their mind. Exactly. And do you think when you were playing with you know with the Blue Jays, with the Texas and the Expos and all that? Um, there was at times you had to reprogram yourself and kind of not change your DNA, but upgrade your DNA. Um, and what things kind of upgraded your DNA and reprogramming? Was it the team members? Was it teammates that you remember being around? Was it books you were reading or, you know, what, what helped you get through, you know, 14 seasons? Cause people don't last 14 seasons in an MLB. There is, you know, a lot shorter careers. So right. that's, that's impressive. It was, uh, teammates. You know, I was lucky enough to have some good friends and teammates that when things were going bad, um, they'd pat you on the back and, and talk to you and say, Hey, you know, this is what you're doing wrong. A lot of people, a lot of players didn't like when guys would come up to them and say, Hey, you're doing this and you're doing that. And that's why you're struggling because they felt like, Hey, I got this. I can do it myself. But I would welcome that criticism, uh, because I knew that, um, you know, those guys, my friends that were watching, they were good teachers for me. They, they were kind of my eyes on the side and, and they were able to, kind of helped me get back to where I needed to, to be. And also, sometimes when you get selfish and you're just thinking about statistics or you're thinking about your next contract, 
things go crazy. You yeah. know, you have to kind of rein it in and think, you know, if, if I'm more of a team player, things are going to work out in the end. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, being a good team member, how, how do you know in life? I think I've, over the past year, two years, I've, I've learned that, you know, the universe obviously defined you, created you, uh, refined you and designed, designed you. You have to be careful with who you let edit you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing in sports in life is that sometimes coaches or friends or family will try to edit you um, and they're editing you and they're not allowing you to be what you were meant to be. Mm-hmm. So how do you distinguish like the right advice versus the wrong advice in when you were playing and then even in life now, would you say? Well, I think first and foremost, it's who you're hanging around with. You've got to hang around with the right people, people that care about you. Uh, unfortunately, I see some people on my team hanging around with guys that I wouldn't hang around with, right? So I, I think that's that's the biggest thing. If you if you hang around people that have your best interest in mind, you're probably going to get some some good advice, and and you can take that advice. Um, I always felt like, um, you know, you could kind of sift through the advice and, and kind of feel like what what's good and and what's bad, and uh, what friend you can trust and what friend you can't trust, and and I think that's just all with, like I said, with kind of knowing the, the your friends, knowing your teammates, and, and, and figuring out the guys that have your best interest at hand. Yeah. And it's also a feeling that you get. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And, and what fruit in the tree? Right. I remember years ago when I was in high school, I had somebody was at a, like a, a clinic, whatever, and I knew the, guy, the guy's average in, in school, and it was nothing against him, but you know, he batted like 200. I'm like, if I want to bat 400 in, in college, how are you going to give me advice? Right. And if your advice works, why doesn't it work for you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes, you know, the audit and you don't have to say anything. You just know, take the shopping cart method and know what to put in and what mm-hmm. to take out. But be true to yourself because, you know, you're the one that kind of created you, but make sure you don't get too many sources of advice because then you get really confused. Very true. Then you lose your swing. Exactly. Right? You know, Very and I've, I've had that and I'm sure at times and you're like, I lost my swing. Yep. Because you got to go back to basics. And it's funny, I don't know if it was for you, you like dad would come to like, what's the matter with you? You know, and my dad, <laughs> Italian voice, and he'll listen to this. My dad is like, you got to go back to your swing. You know, what's the matter? You got to go back to the basics. I'm yep. like, you're right, dad. You're Italian Goomba. Well, they're, they're the best teachers, right? Because they watch you. They've seen you your whole entire life swinging yeah. a bat. So whenever I can get advice from my dad, I, I definitely mm-hmm. took it. What do you think? Because um, in, in the back of my book, I talk about how on uh, the back cover, figuring out your swing of life, right? Because what does that mean to you? Like figuring out your swing, whether it be when you were playing or in life, figuring out what what medicine you have. Because I know after life after sports, you know, making an adjustment now being a coach, you know, mm-hmm. and also we'll get into being a family man because you got four daughters, yep. you know, a great wife and just an amazing, amazing family. But like, how do you figure out your swing in life, you think, with whatever career that you're doing? I know it's a tough question, but like, what? how does somebody discover their swing? Is um, it their alone time? Is it like figuring out like what they enjoy? You know, how, how did you discover your swing? You know, wanting to play baseball, wanting to go coaching, wanting yeah, to... I, I, I think that's a good one. I mean, figuring out what you enjoy. I mean, baseball's been my life. I love baseball. You know, I give hitting lessons at Baseball Heaven. I coach... Um, you know, the New York Tech Bears. Um, and I know you might be coming out with something in the future, you know, a little uh, membership or something. Possibly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that's, uh, for me, that's what it is, I guess. I mean, uh, you got to love what you do. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing a job that uh, I was miserable every single day. Uh, so I think, you know, finding what you love to do and, and, and figuring out a way to make it work. Um, but you also need to, whatever it is that you do is, and for me it's worked, is be prepared at whatever it is that you're going to do, yeah. have that preparation. And, and, and the alone time, you know, the, the thoughts in your head, when even when I'm driving or, you know, when I'm laying in bed and just kind of figuring out, what needs to be done, um, you know, writing things down. I write things down all the time, not only lists as to what I have to do that particular day, but things that come to my mind like, hey, I need to tell the the, the, the team X, Y, and Z. 
I, I'll write it you down. Because yeah. I know if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it's, it. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> store up here. <laughs> it doesn't store. You know when an iPhone says storage is like maxed out? Yeah. I'm like, it's yeah. maxed out a while ago, so let me put it on paper. Right. I do that all the time, and, and it, it definitely helps me out. Yeah. And with that, being prepared, I don't know how many people know this. My brother actually brought this up, so shout out to him about your black book. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the black book that you had? Because you needed that back then, because now they have all the statistics. So walk us through that black book and but how they do it now and why you did that. So why I did it was Larry Parrish. He told me when I was in the minor leagues that I should keep a book on every pitcher that I faced. And I took it to the next level and, and I, I even wrote in a certain section in the book things that I learned in the minor leagues, whether it be the bunt defenses that we would do, the cutoffs and relays, different things that I learned, I would I would write down and then I would refer to them from time to time. But as far as the pitcher pitching was concerned, I had a huge book that every time I faced that pitcher, I would write what he threw me, uh, the result of the at-bat. Um, and wow. then, you know, so I, every time I'd face that guy, if we were facing Roger Clemens, I would, you know, the night before, I would go in and I would read what Roger Clemens did uh you know in the at bats that we had previously and i would visualize at night and then in the morning when i would wake up i would visualize again and that way i was prepared you know i had seen him in my mind's eye over and over again and i was ready for whatever it was that he was going to throw and and it helped me you know if he got me out with change ups away the last game all four at bats well i had an idea that he was going to throw me changeups away. So it just gave me a little bit of an idea. If the guy was tipping his pitches where his glove would be wide on a changeup and tight on a fastball, I wrote it in there. And yep. if I wouldn't face that pitcher for two, three months later, maybe I would forget. But since it was in the book and I was going to read wow. it, well, now I knew, hey, and I would tell That's the amazing. team, yeah, guys, listen, he tips his changeup. So that just stuff like that, especially when you're not, uh, an Alex Rodriguez type or, or a big, you know, strong, you know, freak of baseball when you have to do and the Aaron little Judge. things and yeah, Aaron yeah, Judge. Yeah. yeah. When you have to do those little things, it helps out so much. Yeah. And what that is, and when I mentor and coach people, I'm like, what are your gaps of life? What is it that you're falling in? And when you don't fix those gaps, you're going to keep falling in and you're going to repeat the same pattern. And you wrote the, the book and had the black book because then it's like, these are my gaps. Yep. This is what the pitcher's doing. He's tipping off. Yep. You know, this is his tendency. Yep. This is, you know, when I can really start, you know, I'm, I'm jumping on, you know, the first pitch or sure. I'm waiting. And then you figure out those gaps. And that's why, you know, you batted 291 and did very well throughout your career. Mm-hmm. And um, walk us through your 2001 season. That was your highest average, 330. Yep. One of your, you know, one of your great seasons. Walk us through that season. How... How focused were you? What did you feel that? Because I know when you have those types of seasons, you like there's something about that season. I think I don't know where I saw, but you like the the baseball looks like a balloon. Yeah, you know that season. So walk us through that season. Yeah, it was just you know it was a combination of I was just seeing the ball so good, um, and then once you have that confidence and you're going into the game, just knowing it wasn't like oh I hope I get a hit or will I get a hit tonight. I went into the games knowing. I'm going to get hits. It's a, it's a question whether I'm getting two, three or four hits. You know what I mean? So every night I was just confident. The ball looked like a beach ball. (laughs) Everything slowed down. When you're confident, things slow down for you in sports. Um, How do you build that confidence though? What did you do during, you know, that season or just an MLB that people can relate to in their life? Yeah. I, you know, people ask me that all the time. What came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, was it the confidence that came first and then you did well, or did you do well? And then you gained the confidence. And I think it's a little of both, but, but for me, you know, I got off to a good start, um, and I was having some success and then all of a sudden I think it just kept building, you know, sometimes when you have that success, you know, people just can't stop you because, uh, you know, when you feel that good all the time, you know, and also you have to get lucky, right? So there were times I remember thinking there were times that I got very lucky. You know, I bunted a ball. I remember a ball that I bunted and it should have went foul and everyone gave up on it. And all of a sudden it came back and there was like a little hole, you know, in the, in the ground and it just nestled right there on, right on the line. No way. And I'm like, that shouldn't have happened, you yeah. know. So of but, course, when you when you have a season like that, you got to get lucky. But too. When you had a line drive and you're just like, I just hit the crap out of the ball, 
and or he made a ridiculous right. catch. Right. You're like, I deserve that. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like the, your bat breaks, but it goes over the second baseman. Yeah. And there's like, oh, like crappy hit. I'm like, no, it's a good hit because last a bat, I hit a line drive to exactly. left field. You know. Yep. That's funny. And was that the year that you went? You had a six because that was the record, right? Six for six uh, at a game that was with the Expos. No, that was with the Blue Jays. Blue Jays. Sorry. Blue Jays. Yep. Um. So that was in I believe 2004. That wasn't the same year. Um. And another, that was another game where, and, and, and those are very few and far between, but again, everything slowed down for me and it was, um, it just seemed like I was on the right page. You know, if the, if the guy threw a curveball, I was looking for the curveball and I hit it. If he would throw a change up, I was sitting on the change up. Um, and you know, I didn't really crush any of the balls. I think I hit one double five singles and it just I found I found holes and uh you know when you're in a game and and you get your first hit you know the first at bat you get a hit that confidence just builds then you get a second one and a third one and and you know I just felt like no one could get me out that night yeah and you know you're we were just talking before you're a fellow golfer yeah uh, excited to golf with you yeah. um but trusting the process I think through that season through your six 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 for six game you have to be able to trust the process. How do you, what is trusting the process? Like, what do you teach your, you know, the, the kids that you, you coach now? Um, trusting the process. What is that? What is that trusting the process? Well, you know, th- there's a certain way to do things. And, you know, I, I had guys last year that would go 0 for 4, but they hit four balls right on the nose and they'd they'd come out, be all upset. And I'd be like, what's going on? What's up? Why are you upset? But, oh, I went 0 for 4. I go, no, 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 no. This is exactly what we're teaching this is the process that we were teaching in practice and you executed it. You hit the ball hard four times. You've got to take a positive away from that and go into the next game feeling good about that. I understand, you know, you were 0 for 4, but if you trust the process, eventually things everything's going to work out. Things are going to yeah. um you know, balls are going to fall in for you. So, you know, a lot of times we don't want to trust the process. We don't want to even though we're go we're we're doing what we have to do in practice to get better, if we don't see the results, sometimes people abandon the process. And the process is is so important because that eventually, if you stick to it, it's going to get you where you want to go. Yeah, and I think that's with anything that you do. It's like when you get in your car, you have to trust your car is going to you know, make work. You have to drive it, yep. do what you got to do, but trust in your inner self. And that's huge with whatever you're doing in your life. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yep. What are um, toughest pitcher in MLB uh, that you face? I'm going to ask you some Rapid questions. For me, it was Pedro Martinez and Mariano Rivera. Those two gave me a tough time. And what's crazy about actually Dana Cavalier, he's um he was on a podcast with us and yep. he was former year at King Strain we were talking about before, but he, he only had one pitch, uh Mariano Rivera. A cutter. A cutter. That was it. I mean, what was facing that and seeing the movement? Because people don't realize it's ridiculous the movement that he had. Late, late movement. Uh, being a left-handed hitter, so his cutter oh, would come in on me. That's terrible. So he broke my bat all the time. Um, and you know, Rafael Palmero always used to tell me, move up toward you know on the plate uh, to- towards uh, the pitcher that way. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I'm now I'm making a 95 mile an hour fast cutter a a hundred mile an yeah, hour. Yeah, yeah. He goes, no, you got to get it before it cuts because it cuts so late. So I started doing that later in my career, and uh, and I had a little bit more success against them. He would still jam me, but uh, but yeah, even though you'd, I would say to myself, okay, see it outside. If it's outside, that means it's going to cut across the plate. It would, you know, <laughs> I couldn't have that discipline because you would see it right down the middle of the plate and think, oh, this is a great one. And next thing you know, it was on your hand. So yeah. it was, it was so tough to hit. And then you said Pedro, right? Pedro. Was yeah. it because of his hair or was it because <laughs> of, uh... <laughs> no, his, see his changeup was so good. It was like 15 miles an hour slower than his fastball and his arm speed was the exact same. So you would think it was the fastball coming and it would be the changeup. Yeah, that's and, hard. Yeah, and then when I would sit on the changeup and think, okay, now it's going to be a changeup, he would throw the fastball. It was like he knew what I was looking for. He was he was reading my, you know, body, you know, body language and just was able to just outthink me every time. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, player that you looked up to before you uh, got into the majors, somebody that really was a role model, somebody that you really respected before I got into the majors was Don Mattingly. I was a big Yankee fan and, uh, a big Don Mattingly fan. Uh, I played a lot of first base when I was younger, just like Don Mattingly. I was a left-handed hitter like him. 
Um, and I would always change, you know, he would always change his stance from time to time. And I, whatever he was doing, I would change my stance in Little League. Uh, then I went to a game when I was young. Uh, he came over, uh, signed autographs, was a really nice guy. And I'm lucky enough to been able to uh, meet him in the major leagues when he was coaching with the Yankees. And, uh, and I've seen him several times at different events and stuff. And we've become friendly. Um, and just always such a, a, a nice guy, always worked hard, uh, always took time out for the fans. So I, I really always looked up to him. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. Awesome guy. Um, while you were playing somebody, the best player that, um, I guess position player that you played with Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. You know, I played with him in Texas and to watch him, Every single night was amazing. Uh, you know, people just thought he was just a freak of nature that would just show up and just be the best. And the thing with him, people don't realize, he was the first guy at the ballpark. He was always in the cage doing extra work. He was the last one to leave. So when you combine that that freakish natural talent with his uh, desire to to be the best, to get better, and his work ethic... Well, that's why you come up with one of the best players ever to play the game. So um, it was impressive to watch him every single night. It's funny because I study his uh, his life after sports, you know, and I'm um, in the next probably year we'll be connecting with him somehow. And he his work ethic is to this day as an entrepreneur is is obscene. You know, it's just yep. he's always on that go. But you learned a lot from seeing him behind closed doors, and people don't realize like what it like. Some people talk so much, but don't let your actions, we say, let your feet be louder than your tongue. Yep. And let your let your bat do the work. My dad used to always say that, you mm-hmm. know, in his Italian voice. David, you don't like something, <laughs> go let your bat do the work and your average and your home runs will will be the thing that really uh, helps there. Yeah. He he was uh he was great because he would call me into the video room uh when we were, you know, facing a pitcher that night. He put the uh, the guy, the video of the guy on and he'd be pointing out things about the pitcher, tipping his pitches and, and what pitches he's going to throw tonight. And he was that into it. Yeah. He, studied things. he was so into it. So I learned a lot from him. Never rubbed off of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, funniest moment, you know, while you're in a majors or, you know, something that happened or pranks or anything. Cause so, I know there's prank wars that well, sometimes happen. Yeah. There's a lot. Some can be talked about. Some can't. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to talk about any of the, of the, the prank wars, but one thing that was very, very uh, embarrassing for me. I remember I was um, in Toronto uh, playing with the Blue Jays. It was right before, uh, I think we were playing against the Yankees. It was right before the game. And and you know, right before the game, the, the, the position players go out to the, mm-hmm. the outfield line and run their sprints and, and stretch and get loose. Well, in Toronto, they have this big jumbotron, um, you know, big screen in center field. And I remember I was running my sprints and I was on the left field line and I looked up and um, the camera was on me for some reason. And I went and I sprinted. Now remember, it's it was uh, turf there. And I went and I sprinted and the, the camera was on me as I was sprinting. And my cleat got caught in, um, you know, in the turf. The and I fell face for, I mean, didn't my hands didn't even break my fall? Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it is. Uh, my hands didn't even break my fall. I went face first. It had me. I looked up, and it has me. I had turf like that black stuff all over my face. I turn around. All the guys are just dying laughing on the line. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, the, the there was a lot of people there because we were playing against the Yankees. Oh my so gosh. everyone is watching this. So I remember I was I went down I walked back with my head down. I was so embarrassed. You know, that was one of many. Yeah. And so cause not only did everybody see, but you're on the Jumbotron as well. Yeah, I'm on exactly I'm on <laughs> I'm on the Jumbotron. And one one other one that just came to mind, I'll tell you. My rookie year, um going out uh to play, we're in Detroit. And the guys pulled a prank on me. They took um, our shortstop, Davey Cruz at the time. They took his jersey, put it in my locker, and my jersey put it in his locker. So I just naturally put on my jersey, didn't look at the number or the name in the back. That's funny. And so I walked out there, and again, we're running sprints uh, you know, before the game. And I see all the fans just laughing, whatever, uh, and look pointing at me and... You know, I'm like, what are they doing? I went over, I signed some autographs, you know, before the game and everyone's laughing at me and staring at me. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, finally, finally, one of the coaches came up to me. Game was about to start and I was in the starting lineup. One of the coaches came up to me and said, Frank, you got the wrong jersey on. (laughs) So I was 
mortified that I was out there and we had all the fans and everyone laughing at me. But, uh, uh, the, you know, the, par, par for the course. That's what the you, rookies get. Do you miss that, like the brotherhood? And, you know, like the kind of just the I culture do. there. I know? do. The camaraderie with the guys. The locker room. That, that's the biggest thing that I miss um, is, is the guys, you know, hanging out with the guys every single day. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's and you know it's crazy because that life after sports. How was that for you? Like that transition. So you're you know you were at the Mets for uh, for a little bit after you know, that was your last season. But how was that transition ending that career? It was tough because I know I was very emotional. Uh, I, I knew my career was over. You know I got released in the middle of May. Um, I wanted to be home with my my kids, so I knew that I wasn't going to be signing elsewhere. Um, and it was it was tough because baseball is what I did. You know, it was 19 years professional between the minor leagues and the major leagues. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and I knew my lifestyle was going to con- just completely change because now I wasn't going to be, and I didn't have a place to go. You know, like I would wake up and go to the ballpark, and that I wasn't going to have that anymore. Because you're um, in a routine, you're like scheduling, and then you're like, it's like quiet. it's over. That's it, over. Yeah. So, uh, funny thing is, is one of the first days that I was home. Um, you know, now obviously my wife has the four girls and she's raising them. I'm, I'm away a lot. Um, but one thing about me and her, um, I am a neat freak and she is not, um, you know, I'm a little anal about things have to go in their place. And so it might've been the the second day that I was home and I said, all right, girls tomorrow, we got to go in the garage, clean that garage out, this, that, whatever. And my wife looked at me and goes, no, 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 no. We've been living here. You're coming in. We're going to do things our way for a little while. So it was a little bit of a culture shock. Like I was like, no, no, no. Like you got to put your stuff away, you know, like, so it was, um, it was tough to kind of get acclimated to now me being there every single day and, and they had their routine, right? So I was kind of interrupting their routine and I had to kind of adapt to how everything was going on in the house. Yeah. When did you um, get married and have kids? What, how, what were you in your major league career? So it was my second year in the major leagues. I had my first kid. Where'd you meet your wife? High school. Ah, high school sweethearts. That's so, amazing. So yeah, you guys, you got a beautiful family. Thank you. Yeah, Thank and you. just uh, what um, what advice can you give people that are you know working in family life, learning that balance, and then being a dad, being a husband. What are you know top tips you can maybe give uh, to work, family life balance, and then being a dad and being a, a husband? Yeah, you you got to be selfless, right? You know, because if you're selfish, uh, it's not going to work out. Uh, sometimes there's things that you want to do and you can't do it because you know you've got to um, you know make sure you're you're with the family and and you're going to obviously to the different concerts and. And, and uh, the games and stuff like that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line to where you have to, um, you know, make yourself happy, but you also have five other people that you have to make happy. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, five other women. Five other women, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not easy. But, uh, but yeah, no, just making time for, for everyone and, and, you know, spending good quality time with your wife and your kids and... Um, you know, sometimes I travel and, and I'm away and, and, um, I not, don't necessarily like being away from them, but sometimes there's things that you have to do in life. And, uh, you know, I feel like if, if, um, you, you plan things out ahead of time and you're, you're, um, you're just making sure that you're, you're with them and, and, and doing things with them, things will work out. And, and, you know, my wife is, is great. You know, she's fine with, uh, the busy life that we lead and and the travel that we do and stuff like that. It's exciting. It is. It's, uh, then it's a boring life. It's like, you know, you got one life, uh, one shot at this life. So go out full out with it and, and be in the moment. I think a lot of times I say it's not the length of life, it's the depth, Mm -hmm. right? It's the depth of relationships It's the depth of your moments. And I think that's what's so special. And, and, you know, you're a great dad, great husband. I can tell, you know, mm-hmm. you, you meet Frankie, just, he's got a great spirit uh, about him and you're genuine. 
you know, and you're humble. And Thank I think you. that's hungry, Thank humble, and appreciative. Those are the qualities and traits. And you represent the Seven Rock Life mentality. I know I just shared with you the mentality, but you you represent everybody that we bring on, you know, this uh, Seven Rock Life Podcast Nation show is just, hey, are they representing those rocks of life? Yep. You know, and you do that very well, uh, which is you. awesome. And we do have something in, in wrapping up. We do have something in common recently is that you went to Africa, yeah. right? And, and I was just in Tanzania and you were in Africa. Walk us through like, Going to Africa and coming back, the things that you saw, you mm-hmm. know, because people heard it from me, but I want them to hear from you. What did you take away? What were your downloads and audits going there and then coming back? Well, first and foremost, that we're very spoiled uh, over here. I mean, you know, you, you see these these people, these kids uh, living in these huts, you know, with no electricity, no running water, and they're happy as could be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it... it you know, you think of us here and the kids here and, and how spoiled we are and the things that we take for granted. Um, it was it was it was a breath of fresh air just to see that over there. I mean, life seems less complicated over there, you know, not as much probably with the social media and all the the running around and, and you know, it's it's more them working together as a family, as a unit. And, um, and getting through life. I mean, they, it was, uh, it was very eye-opening to me. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, Same here. Yeah. It's, uh, we have, um, with Summer Rock Life, we have a thing called tribe living. They work as tribes. Mm-hmm. They work together to complete, not to compete. Yep. And I think that's, when you go there, you can see it on like National Geographic. Yeah. But when you're seeing how they're living, if things are made out of mud or sticks, you're just like, why are we complaining about like the toilet not working? They don't even have toilets. Right. Like we delivered toilets to schools that never had a toilet before. I'm like, and they're like, what? And so it's it's definitely perspective. Mm-hmm. Did you always have gratitude? You think? Uh, yeah, you know, I was, you know, when when I talk about my mom and dad, I mean, they definitely instilled in me all the the right things, and um, um, you know, that's one of them. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. amazing. And you know, Frankie, uh, thank you so much for everything. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question. It's the last question that we always ask on our podcast. Um, but just hearing your story, I know people are definitely going to share this, you know, text it to a friend that's in sports or just in life because you gave a lot of life lessons. I'll listen to this again. Mm-hmm. Secretly, when I do these podcasts, <laughs> I just want to learn. You know, right. I love discovering. We learn from each other. Yeah. And one thing I really took away is like, it's interesting about the rope. My junior year in college when I was with the Stony Brook and Coach Sank, we had a rope. And that year we won, went to regionals, played Arizona State, Vanderbilt, you know, Oklahoma and all that. And we had a rope that we took our picture with actually, I think it was at um, Farmingdale because we didn't have our our field yet. Mm -hmm. And we had a rope and we took it and we're all holding it. And I think, you know, holding on to a rope, what does that, what does that mean? Like in a family, in a relationship, in uh, sports, I know your season that with, you know, this past year with NYIT 3715, you all hold up the rope. So what is... You know, two more questions are done. What does holding on to a rope you think in life mean? Uh, for you're talking about for a for a full the whole team, yeah, for a team to, yeah. for life. Yeah, I think it, just that. Um, you know, we're all in it together. Um, we're all. Um, uh, you know, what I tell the kids, and I don't know if this is where you're going, is is that we all have to pull from that same side of the rope, and, and if we're all holding that rope together, no one can beat us. Yep. Um, so and that's in anything. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to say that again, it's so powerful in a relationship. If one person lets go or, uh, in, you know, in entrepreneurship or partners or, or, uh, sports or whatever, it's like, no, we're going to do this together. We right. started this, we're going to finish this. Yep. And I think that's why you had such a great season. Um, you know, and what's the, what's the future, you know, for you, uh, you know, going forward? Well, we got some great recruits, uh, at New York tech and, um, you know, the team on paper, the team is better this year than it was last year. That's awesome. So, I'm excited to come see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. On paper doesn't mean anything. We've got to get these new guys on board uh, and have them buy in to to what we've been teaching. And uh, I think we will. And, and I think we're going to do uh, really well this year. If you need an outfield, I'm ready to go. Right? I'm, <laughs> all right. I feel good. You know, I'm doing my bike run and all that. Nice. Now that's, uh, I'm excited and, and sending um, definitely uh, amazing blessings to you guys for an amazing season. So this is the last question. We're done. You ready for this? Yeah. This is the Seven Rock Life Nation podcast question. So if you had a billboard for the whole world to see, what would your message be to the world? One sentence one word, so a billboard for everybody to see, what would your message be to the world, Frank? It would probably be, be kind to others because 
I, I just see too many people caring about themselves and not thinking of other people. Uh, you know, I think it's really important to, to care about others around us. Um, and I think the world would be just a better place if, if we thought about that. That's an amazing answer. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for coming. Thank You're the you. man. Check him out, guys. Uh, NYT. Google him. Uh, YouTube him. Uh, just not the fall because that won't be up there right now. <laughs> but uh, just an amazing, amazing person. And you're doing great things. And I know your your life's just beginning. Um, you know, with all the things you've done. So um, definitely excited, guys. Share this. Have an awesome, awesome day. And uh, make sure that you live to inspire every day and be the example for others, not by what you say, but how, how you live. Love you guys. Enjoy your week. Oh, I love your pretty colors Cause it's such a good vibe Every time I see your face I try to hold on Cause I want you to stay We were made to roam without cages Meet new people and travel different places Go ahead, pretty bird You're free to fly away